All right. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today on Culture. I am your host, Leslie Lee III. Let me tweet it out. For some reason, the app is being a little weird with the tweet. With the tweet game. Oh, no, it's a Twitter app that's being weird. All right. But thank you all so much for joining me. Wow. Amazing, amazing AEW show. Winter is coming. What a great wrestling show. What a great wrestling show. Let me tweet this out, get you all in here, and then we'll talk about it for a bit. And as always, I am taking your calls. Happy to take your calls, hear your thoughts, hear your takes on the show. Let me know what you thought about it. Let me know what you think about wrestling. Lots of wrestling news happening. Lots of things in the news. We, we're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk about Kevin Steen. Okay, we'll talk about Kevin Steen. I'll give my somewhat hot take on Kevin Steen. Maybe a little bit spicy. I'm not trying to be intentionally provocative, but maybe a spicy take on, uh, on, on Kevin Owens, I should say, resigning with WWE. But thank y'all so much for joining me tonight here on the call and app. Much appreciated. If you want to call in, please do so. That's what the beauty of the app is. Anybody can call in anytime. All you got to do is click the button and we'll talk some wrestling. We'll talk that AEW show. Let me get pull it up in my DVR so I can scan through this thing. Winter is coming. I thought it was a hell of a show, a really good show. Now, I've, I've talked about this on Struggle session, session. By the way, I am the host of Struggle Session, which you can find at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus. Public episodes at sesh.show brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast Network. But as I talked about on Struggle Session, I'm a late... A.W. Bloomer, I think. I think I, it took a while for me to really buy in to A.E.W. I was not instantly in love with A.E.W. Like a lot of people were. I think a lot of people were very into A.E.W. a lot early on. I think a lot of people who were watching WWE were ready for something new. And I wasn't quite in that position because I watched a lot of Joshi and Japanese wrestling and independent wrestling. So what AEW was offering early on wasn't as fresh to me. It was all right, but it wasn't as fresh to me. I didn't really get super into it until a few months ago. A few months ago, I started getting really, really into AEW. And they've really won me over with you know, and shows like Winter is Coming are exactly why. Just straight up a great wrestling show. An amazing wrestling show. Just as top to bottom, I'm re-watching it. Like, I, I mean, starting off with Danielson versus Hangman. I didn't know what to expect. I was, I, I, WWE does this shit and I hate it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. They make 
they put the main event on first. I think maybe I'm a little bit biased against it because of WWE. Because I think maybe the first time I actually watched them do it, maybe the only time I actually watched them do it, was when it was um, Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar in WrestleMania. And it was the opening match. And it's like, okay, opening match for Brock Lesnar. And he says it's because he wants to go home early. Because he didn't give a shit about the show. And I'm thinking, well, he doesn't give a shit about the show. Why did I give a shit about the show? And then the match goes on to be, like, what, five, what six minutes of them doing maybe the same couple of moves over and over again. And they go home. It didn't seem like anybody gave a shit about that match. And really, le- it left such a sour taste in my mouth. I was actually watching WrestleMania and, like, a group of uh, WrestleSplania was doing an event. And that match bummed me out so much, I just left. I... I like I'm not a rest, I'm not a WWE fan, but Russell Splain is cool, and I wanted to, you know be there with the vibes. But once that match went, I was like, no, I can't watch this anymore. And that was WrestleMania weekend, and I was in town, so I was seeing like good wrestling shows. I was seeing, I saw the was it the Stardom show and the Shimmer show, two great shows back to back. So I was in the mood to cap off that great weekend of wrestling where I got and I got to see some old friends, wrestlers I, I know I haven't seen in years. It was a great weekend. And then that Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins match just put a damper on it. Just put me in such in like the worst mood I've ever been in watching wrestling. So that may have soured me on the idea of opening the show with the title match because of the way they did it just felt like it was spitting in your face. It's like, Brock doesn't care, but the company doesn't care, and Seth doesn't care. We're just putting this shit on. Who fucking cares? Well, then I don't care. AEW, obviously, tonight had something a little bit different in mind. Obviously, with Winter is Coming, AEW choosing a slightly different approach to professional wrestling than WWE, because they opened this show, Hangman versus Danielson. And kind of set the scene for Hangman Danielson, you know, this is Hangman's first big, big defense. This is Danielson's first shot at AEW title. You don't want to, you don't want to complete this story too early you want to push this down the line a bit so when this opened the reason for it was obviously give us an hour give us an hour of great ass wrestling and take it to the limit and perhaps a draw and I loved it I loved every minute of it I could watch Brian Danielson wrestle forever. Daniel Bryan, maybe not. But Brian Danielson, I could watch wrestle forever. He's so creative. So innovative. Even now, he's coming up with new shit all the time. And I love the freedom he has in AEW. Because he's not limited by, you know, the WWE style. It's this WWE style guide. About what you can and can't do in the match. 
what movies you can and can't use. I don't think he could use a gotch. He couldn't use a gotch style pile driver. Pull that out. In you know, as another finisher, because somebody else you know uses it in WWE. If he was in WWE, he wouldn't just be able to pull that out because other people in AEW use that move as well. But that's one of the cool things that AEW has, and it reminds me a lot. This show reminds me of great ROH shows. For obvious reasons, you got two ROH wrestlers right there. I mean, you have Mr. ROH, really, Brian Danielson, probably more than any other wrestler, embodies everything that Ring of Honor wanted to be, tried to be. He's just so, and he's the best wrestler in the world. So that tells you about the quality of the vision the AEW, excuse me, that Ring of Honor had and what their vision of wrestling means. I'm just looking at, re look at the match. I see they have a Raising Cane sign in the background. Raising Cane is actually a restaurant from my hometown of Baton Rouge. I had the first established ever Raising Cane many, many times. In college, in high school, as everybody did. Great restaurant, great chain. When it comes to your town, make sure to check it out. No slaw extra sauce, though. No slaw extra sauce. Or no slaw extra toast. And then an extra sauce. Some people like, you're going to need the extra sauce, regardless. I talked about this on Doughboys and people got mad, but it's true. You're going to need the extra sauce. You're not going to want the coleslaw. But I digress. I just saw that Raising Cain sign that made me think of it. But Danielson versus Hangman. And Danielson unleashed, able to do all the things he knows how to do. Pull things from all the, ja all the wrestling he knows. The old school wrestling. The Japanese wrestling. God, I'm just looking at him. And the jumping jacks thing. So good. So good. And that's when I knew. It was like, alright, it's going to be an hour. It's going to be one of those, it's like one of those ROH shows where they they would have a hot face against the champion, you know, often Danielson or maybe Joe. You know, Samoa Joe versus CM Punk might be an example. Danielson versus Roderick Strong might be an example. Where you got a guy that's really hot, but obviously it's not time to end the title run. So what you do, you do a one-hour draw. You do a one-hour draw, and that kicks the can down the line. Say, okay, we can revisit this in a few months. This isn't settled. What I like about AEW and their sports-style, almost MMA-style booking is that you don't expect you know, there to be a rematch next week. Danielson had a shot. He didn't win. <laughs> On to the next challenger. That's sports, folks. I like I, or maybe not. Maybe they'll go into it. Maybe they'll go into a program. But I could see them also saying, "All right, Danielson, you go back to the back of the line. You had your shot. You didn't get it done. That's what being the champ. That's the ch that's the champion's advantage. The champion's advantage shouldn't be 
if there's a DQ or a count out, you don't lose the title. That's actually ridiculous. You should, you absolutely positively should lose the title on the count out. Any kind of count out disqualification. If it's a loss, you lose the title. That's how that's supposed to work. But the real champion's advantage is that if you can take it to a time limit draw, you then you can keep the title. That's how it's supposed to be done. WWE f- really f- like just fucked it though. Fucked this current ending. Messed messed up in a lot of people's minds. It's like a draw isn't necessarily a illegitimate finish. Every time it happens in WWE, I guess WCW did it too. People come out and ask for five. And indie companies would copy this too. They would come out and ask for five more minutes. Five more minutes. Like, no, you don't get five more minutes. A draw is a draw. Draw is a draw. The time limit is 60 minutes. The con- that's what the contract is. Unless it's contracted that there's overtime, there shouldn't be an overtime. Now, this company establishes a rule that there's a five-minute overtime, which I think some promotions have done. And certainly uh, MMA promotions have that. Pride had an overtime rule for when there was a when they went to the judges' court cards and there was a draw. But there's not an overtime rule. Just if it's a draw, that's it. It's over. Match done. No five more minutes. On to the next match. I like that. I like that. It's easier to book when you just do things that make sense and make it more like sports. You don't have to, you don't have to jump through all these hoops. Because if they give five more minutes to Danielson now, well, then the next time they do a draw, they have to give that guy five more minutes. And then the next one, the next one, there's no point in having the draw because then you're adding five more minutes to every draw. Defeating the entire purpose. That's how WWE and I guess WCW and maybe every promotion following in their footsteps end up turning draws into just sort of meaningless things. But like AEW, they stuck with it. The announcers didn't even give a hint about a five more minutes or anything like that. It was like, nope, match over. That's it. What a great match that was. And it was a great match. I loved it. I loved it. If you want to call in and tell me what you thought about the match, please feel free to do so. What you thought about the show as a whole. I, I, I've never, I haven't seen a lot of Hangman Page. Didn't see any of his ROH stuff, none of his New Japan stuff. I've only seen him in AEW, and then he's been out for most of the time I've been watching AEW. This kid's winning me over. Big time. Especially in his last rally. His last rally, I thought that was some of the best shit I've seen in a while. I really liked his comeback in the last like minute or so against Danielson. That was good stuff. That was high. That made made me get it. Oh, like oh, this is why everybody loves this guy. It's not that I didn't like him. I just hadn't seen a lot of him. I maybe seen God maybe less than ten Hangman matches on the whole. That was you know really intensely paying attention to you and that were you know focused on him. And, you know, were meant to be kind of showcase matches. But, man, he really won me over. I liked it. 
Cowboy shit. And Danielson, of course. I think he might be better than ever. I haven't gone back and watched the classic Danielson match in a few months. Maybe, maybe there's something there about the youthful Danielson. Some rawness, some meanness stays lost. Some edge stays lost. But I don't, I don't think so right now. I think he might be better than he's ever been. He's just so, just such an intelligent wrestler. His focused on storytelling. The way he's willing to change it up and do stuff he's never done before. And that he might never do again. I love it. The innovation reminds me of my favorite wrestler, who I think is the greatest wrestler of all time, Manami Toyota. Who would just invent shit on the fly to do. And it feels like Danielson does a lot of that. And also, what's interesting about his AEW run, he's teasing a lot of stuff he used to do and not doing it. They're doing it a little bit differently. Like, the ankle lock didn't come with the German this time. I forget what he did after, but I was expecting him to do the German, but no, he kind of... Oh, yeah, what he did, he really cinched in on the ankle lock. Usually, he kind of just plays with the ankle and then brings him back German suplex. Same way uh, Kana slash Asuka does it. I don't know if she does it in WWE, but I saw her doing that. Um, but she was doing that when Danielson was doing that, when they were both before they signed. But he switches it up. But he's teasing all the stuff he used to do, changing it up, and just... I can't believe this man was retired <laughs> a little while ago. I can't believe this man spent all that time working in WWE, survived it somehow, and came back and was still the best wrestler in the world. It's a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to see. I love Brian Danson. I always have. I remember the earliest days of ROH. You see this skinny, pale guy who just has a kind of ugly, too, <laughs> if we're being real. And, he's just, and he gets in the ring, and he's just like the best wrestler in the world. He's just so believable and so intense. The way, the way he just makes you believe that everything he's doing is 100% legitimate. Unmatched, almost in you know North American wrestling, I think one of my one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and still going and still getting better. Dare we dream he has a career like Keiji Muto, who at this point you know goes on for another twenty years and is still killing it? <laughs> really, I mean, can you imagine Brian Danielson just keeps wrestling? For another 10 years, another 20 years. Gets, to, gets in those, into those uh, Japanese years of active, active duty wrestling, high level wrestling. I like to see it. I like to see it. If you enjoyed Winter is Coming, please give me a call in. Let me know what you thought of the show. Give me your takes your views, how you felt about the matches. 
What did you think of Danielson versus Paige? Did it live up to your expectations? I think it exceeded my expectations. I think it exceeded my expectations. I don't try to do a lot of fantasy guessing with AEW. I feel for some reason there's just something about the booking of the promotion that maybe I haven't watched enough of it to really get into to predicting it hard. So I I didn't have a pick going in. I knew obviously they're not taking the title off of Paige, but I couldn't tell you Paige by knockout in the second round. I I didn't dare to guess. I don't have my compass for AEW's booking yet. Tony Khan's, Tony Khan's a savvy booker. He's a savvy guy. He's been, he was on the message boards. He was on uh, DVD, uh, uh, DR, buying and trading tapes. I think he got a couple off me, if I'm being honest with you. I think it's very likely Tony Khan got some bootleg DVDs sourced from my ribs. Cause I used to, uh, <laughs> I used to supply, uh, uh, new Japan during the initial bullet club run. So if you saw that early bullet club stuff, you probably saw it from me. There was one other major distributor at the time. But 50-50 chance, if you were watching the early Bullet Club where um, Devitt was running it, you probably got, you know, the real rock and roller era. You probably were getting those tapes from me and and any other Japanese wrestling around that time. You were getting it from me. But man, yeah, this one hour draw, amazing match. And what does it mean for AEW as a company that they're doing this sort of thing? They're, I feel like they're putting themselves in so many different traditions. The, there's a Southern wrestling tradition that this draw is in, obviously. And then you saw that with Hangman with the blood. Him bleeding early on in the match. And boy, did he bleed good. Great bloody job by Hangman. Great bleed... He bled just enough for it to be gross, but not worry. Just enough for it to gross you out, but not make you concerned. Pretty much the perfect blade job. It could have gone on longer. It didn't last that long. It did clot fairly early. But I think I think they did they did attend to him, so maybe that was deliberate. I don't know what the rules with TNT and AEW are with blood and whatnot. On the indie show, he would I, maybe he would have kept that that thing going for the whole uh, duration. Maybe on TNT they only get like, all right, you can bleed uh, between one com- one commercial break, but that's it. <laughs> Once the commercial break goes, you got you got to stop bleeding. But man, he bled good, and it added to the match, added to the drama. He was like, oh shit, Paige, lo- he looked absolutely positively done. About 20 minutes in. It's like. I was like holy shit. Danielson is actually going to win the title. And I was like what is going. What does that mean? What are they going to do from here? That's interesting. And then the match goes on. For another 5 minutes. 10 minutes. 20 minutes. 40 minutes. And it just keeps getting better. I really loved it. Really loved it. And good pace too. Good pace. 
didn't feel like an hour. Commercial breaks probably helped with that, but it didn't really feel like an hour. And they took advantage of the breaks. Absolutely stellar, stellar match. Not the best one-hour match, and not the fastest one-hour match. If you want to see the absolute positively fastest-paced one-hour match, look up Manami Toyota versus Kyoko Inoue. Manami Toyota, just like the car, versus Kyoko Inoue. You're not going to... Just Google Manami Toyota one-hour match. That match is, swear to God, non-stop for 60 minutes. Non-stop for 60 minutes. Classic Joshi match with two of the most energetic wrestlers that have ever stepped foot in the ring. Non-stop for 60 minutes. Please believe me when I say that. Do not stop for 60 minutes. No other 60-minute match comes even close to the pace. No one, none even comes close. Of Toyota versus Inoue. But this Danielson versus Hangman match. Was very good. With a great pace. I really was blown away by it. I think it's great wrestling. I think it was great TV. Aside from the cuts to the crowd. I don't know why they kept cut. Why they cut to the crowd at pivotal moments. Is this some sort of WWE infestation that's got into all the wrestling. I don't want to see the crowd. I'm you have two jacked wrestling men doing great wrestling in the wrestling ring and you're gonna cut to some Dwight in a t shirt. Why? I don't want to see that. I'm not turning on the TV to see the dudes in the crowd or the gals in the crowd or anybody in the crowd. I want to see the wrestlers, the special people, the cool people. Why do they cut to the crowd? I don't know. Can anyone explain? Feel free to call in. Just hit the button, the phone button at the bottom of the screen. You can call in. I'm watching this bleed job from Paige again. Quite good. And then Danielson does the jumping jacks. Beautiful moment. I did want to. I'm glad I saw that. Caught that because I wanted to mention that <laughs> when Paige is on the out during the commercial break, Paige is on the outside of the ring, bleeding his guts out. He his eyes are rolling the back of his head. The refs are looking at him, and then Danielson's in the ring doing calisthenics, cardio, jumping jacks, push ups, and then he flips off the crowd. Great TV. Great way to spend a commercial break during the 60 minute match. That was good shit. But that wasn't only good stuff on this show. What did you think about Deeb versus Sheeta 3? I'll ask your thoughts on the Page versus Danielson finish, but I do want to mention that Deeb versus Sheeta match. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I love this feud. I love these wrestlers. I love that match. I think the second match might have been better, but this one was great too. Great trilogy of matches from them. 
All right, looks like we have our first caller. Anzi, what is up, brother? What's going on? How are you doing? Uh, how are you, man? I'm great. I'm great. In, fa- in fact, I invited you to be a speaker if you want. We can just uh, chat about AEW if anybody wants to, else wants to call in. So what did you think about the show tonight? Uh, I, I think because they, like, listen, even with no surprise, the show was really good. But I think when you do these winters coming and you set the standard of Sting debuting and you kind of did try to tease us at the end, I felt like a little disappointed, but like still like I'm still positive on the show. Like it's still a really, really solid show. As, as, see, that's the thing when you when you have these gimmick shows like Winter is Coming, it's like now everyone expects like like the biggest surprise or something like that. Sometimes Tony's like likes to like, you know, tickle our feet with a feather for a bit before he gives you like the real surprise, but overall, I thought the show was still a solid show. Though, like I, I enjoyed everything that they were doing on the show. The I, 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 I personally think Omega and Brian was a better match, maybe because I think it started off like right out of the gate, kind of being like a fast-paced match. But like I liked the pace that they were working at. You know, what I mean, because a lot the the last ten minutes of the Brian and, and Hangman match, uh, they, they they got me back into. It. I think what took me out a little bit were the commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. See, the commercial breaks don't bother me. In fact, I actually prefer, uh, I remember while I was watching the show, I always prefer it to not hear the commentary if I'm watching wrestling. So I actually like it when it goes to commercial break because uh, then I don't hear the commentary. I, it, I don't know. I, I just, the commercial break doesn't bother me. I know it bothers a lot of people, but I, I like the picture in picture. I wish, as soon as they get on the streaming service, I hope they do like a uh, have a, just a commentary stream that takes you through the commercials, just you know, pure, pure wrestling stream, but probably not. Well, well, see if you, uh, I, I, I don't have this, but apparently because um, people have no way to watch it in England or something like that, like live, so they're able to watch it on Fight TV and Fight TV it, when you watch Dynamite on there. That's where like uh, they do like like a complete like like the commentary is still on there. And they're like not taking commercial breaks, so sometimes people will post like little things that happen during those fight TV streams. Because uh, like, like for example, one time, um, like the plant sees that Omega and Adam Page, uh, Adam Cole are having problems. Was when um Omega it happened during picture to picture, but no one noticed it. But someone posted it online, and it was when uh um Omega was getting kind of jealous about like the Bucks kind of like doing that kissing thing with Adam Cole. And that was like one little small seed that like they planted on purpose. But like, like only the hardcores who pick that up will know about that if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, I mean, I'm rewatching uh, a little bit of it. What did you think about Adam Cole's uh, bleeding? I, I'm watching. I, I'm watching the match again. And it's just his bleeding is just very, very good in the middle of this match. I'm very impressed by it. Yeah. Yeah, you know who, uh, you know, he, he I, I don't know how often Barry Windham did this, but ever since he joined the Bullet Club, he's always had, like, that Barry, that 80s Barry Windham vibe to him. Like, 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 he's obviously, like, a different character than him, but he has that, he has that, like, vibe to him of, like, Barry Windham in his prime, in his prime, basically. Do, do you oh, absolutely, and I loved Windham back in the day. He was my favorite wrestler 
when I first started watching WCW. Hands down, I loved Barry Windham. I definitely see a lot of Windham in him. And I like Windham. Hey, he's getting his time to shine with a world title run. I much appreciate that. Yeah, no, yeah, because yeah, because yeah, I saw Wyndham in different times, man. Like I, I, I remember he was when I watched WrestleMania one as a kid when my parents brought, brought, uh, rented it. I remember seeing him at WrestleMania one, and then I remember he came back into WWE as Widowmaker, and then he surely disappeared. Like I thought he did well there, like like at least as a ring a ring line, but they got rid of him fast for some reason. And then I started watching WCW, and I saw him go back to WCW in the early '90s, and that's where I like where. I kind of saw him uh, have the U.S. title run, um, like in the early '90s or so. I think he was feeling the title, and then I was so happy that he was coming to WWE again. But then they made him the fucking stalker. Oh yeah, that, and then what was it? The Blackjacks after that? They never used. It's just amazing all the potential wrestlers, especially wrestlers from the South associated with the NWA, uh, Crockett, the WWE just went out of their way, WWF at the time, went out of their way to look like garbage. I just got, I just thought about Vader, for example. I don't know why Vader popped in my head. Maybe because I would love, have loved to see a Brian Danielson versus Vader match. WWE literally could have booked that match. WWE literally could have booked that match in their time, but they didn't. They could have done so much more with him Oh, I know why I'm thinking about that because the reason why Vader's career was so part of the reason why Vader's career in WWE was so shitty was because of his uh, battles, his uh, because of HBK and HBK was Brian. Yeah, Danson yeah, and yeah, Brian Danson trained at HBK's school, so that's why I thought about that. Oh, okay, no, 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 no that, that makes sense, no, because, dude, honestly, time to time, when I, I watch Vader, I watch Vader clips sometimes, bro, and I'm like, dude, like, the, but the thing is, even as much as WWE fucked him up, right, I, I, I when I was watching WCW, and I was kind of getting sick of, like, Hulk, the good guy Hulk Hogan a little bit, I, I kind of disliked that, like, Hulk Hogan got that much of an advantage over Vader, because I was like, dude, I was trying to escape Hulk Hogan WCW, and I like Vader versus Sting, Vader versus Cactus Jack, and I'm seeing like Vader, like the typical good, like the typical thing where like Hogan beats you, and then you become a good guy randomly, and you're teaming with Hogan randomly, and, I, and then I remember he dipped before the full brawl match in 95, because he was supposed to be on that team, but then they put Luger on it, and then he came to WWE, and the first eight months of his run in WWE, he was like one of my only few highlights that I was really looking forward to because everything was like becoming kind of crappy with like Bret Hart leaving for a bit, you know, Razor Ramon and Diesel leaving, and Vader was like my last saving grace, kind of in yeah. a way. Him and him and Steve Austin and Mankind were like my three guys because, oh, and Ron Simmons as well because they I saw them in WCW. And I thought these guys are going to be great. And then when Vader just didn't win the title anymore, it just kind of, it kind of like me, like it just made me like not really give a shit about his career afterwards. Really, I, I it, it's, it's so remarkable how much I really liked him because he was one of the main attractions that got me into WCW to begin with. And then by the time I'm watching this guy, he's like on. Do you remember this is like an infamous internet moment that everyone talks about. Where he's on like he's on a pay per view after uh, over the air ninety eight, and he just goes to the camera. I'm a big fat piece of shit. Maybe maybe that like, he's off to Kane, and he's just just calling him. He gets interviewed after the match, and then 
they're like, what happened? He goes, I'm just a fat piece of shit. And yeah. after that, man, I was like, okay, this guy's career is gone, man. And here's the thing. He actually, his career didn't end. He actually went to Japan and had back to Japan and had a great run uh, in Noah after that. So it, it's like he had, but he had more, many more years left on him. Even when he came back for WWE, like what I forget which year it was, the last time he did an appearance, like he wrestled after that because he wrestled what Will Ospreay. You know, after that, Vader was just, I don't know why we're talking about Vader to, with, after his big AEW show. Maybe just because we're watching wrestling on TNT. And in fact, on the first Nitro, Vader was supposed to win the title from Hulk Hogan. But he had an incident in the back that led to him getting fired, which changed the trajectory of the company and professional wrestling forever, really. He was supposed to come out and kill Hulkamania, more or less, on the first Nitro. And that was supposed to be the thing that got everybody talking about WCW. Maybe if that happens, we never get the NWO. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the whole NWO thing, though, like, the, the whole time, I, the, the, I started getting on the internet around this time, and they were talking about forming, they were forming a group with Nash and Hall when the rumors started coming true, and they made you kind of believe that it was Lex, because in storyline, it was believable that Lex Luger invaded from WWE, right, when he debuted in the first Nitro, right? So the internet, had, they kept the Hulk Hogan secret, like, pretty, pretty secret, and people thought that Lex Luger was going to be the guy that joined Hall and Nash, because it all ties back to him, because everybody wasn't trusting Luger when he first came to remember like they're doing the that was like one of the best times oh yeah i remember that yeah they didn't trust lex luger for some reason and and you know if, if you think about it but i don't know if it was done on purpose or not but like whenever people complain about sting joining the nwo it's kind of like uh, the way that they did it people forget about it but like if you remember sting was lex luger's only friend when lex luger came in right and no one trusted lex luger and then, then, then Lex Luger didn't tr- didn't trust Sting when they thought the fake Sting did whatever they did. And then afterwards, then Lex Luger joined the NWO black, uh, Red and Black, and he was the one that convinced Sting to join in. And I always appreciated, like even though we hated Sting joining the NWO because it made no sense, kind of. I always forgot about that moment that Lex Luger was the one who convinced Sting, and that yeah, he was back to the yeah. friendship of uh you know in uh in in you know the beginning and all that but you know about, about the vader you know the, the the last time that vader was in wwe i don't know if you remember this do you remember when they were trying to get stone cold back in for one last match in 2005 and they they insulted his intelligence by giving him a match with coachman no i actually don't remember that well, it was like it was right after they came back to the usa network and they're hinting at an angle, and then basically they're going to try to g- give Coachman a wrestling career, and then co- and so basically Steve Austin didn't end up wanting to do it. He's like, I'm not coming out of retirement for this for this fucking guy. But the two people they brought back to back up Coachman was Vader and Goldust. And what happened? It was like Vader's b- um, big moment back, and then um, the, as soon as he gets on the apron, he trips and he falls. Yeah, I remember that part. I do definitely remember that part. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, they, they, so I was so happy that we're getting Vader back. I'm like, maybe he'll have a career resurgence later in his life, whatever, right? In WWE, at least. And then he fell down. I'm like, oh, man. But yeah, like that era of WWE was like, it was like, this is what I knew. It was like starting to get back, but I was like, in, I was like in denial because it was the only wrestling that I had to watch, basically, you know? 
So are you happy to have AEW now? Something very, I think is very good wrestling now. Very high quality wrestling on national TV every week. Oh, no, dude. Uh, this is like, this is to me, I, I always say that this is the, the spirit of WCW, the good elements of it, living on. You know what I mean? Like like CM Punk is Bret Hart's, like what, what they're doing with CM Punk right now is what they should have been doing with Bret Hart. Yes, yes, absolutely. Coming from from New York, basically, you know what I mean. Not like he should have joined the Horsemen to take down the NWO. You know what I mean. Like he should have done something like that. But no, but I feel like there's like it's like it's like WCW and they have the WCW elements that I really did love about WCW that made it different from WWE. Because while in the Attitude Era, WWE looked more like a Jerry Springer show that had wrestling in the background, and. <laughs> And and AEW, I mean, no, sorry, WW had like a sports feel to it. Even if not everything was like smooth or booked properly, you still felt like it was like a big time wrestling show. Yeah, they, the Michael Buffer thing really kind of made you feel like, okay, even if they do goofy, silly shit, the title is still the title. It's still the world championship. These are still the best professional wrestlers in the world. Where the big boys play, as they used to say. Did you did you notice that um I know because you know how MGF just made MGF made fun of CM Punk on the microphone right and you think that like because like and MGF basically did some political shit where he's bringing up like like their political their politics obviously and then I thought maybe CM Punk would come on the microphone but he didn't come out and he you see what shirt he was sp- sporting he was sporting a reproductive rights t so so I knew he wasn't gonna speak in Texas basically you know what I mean. <laughs> he just wore the shirt. Oh, that's funny. That's really good stuff. Do you? How are you liking the MJF and CM Punk feud thus far? I absolutely, I dig it. I dig it a lot. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the mic battle. I get it. I get a lot of people are used to and expect that from you know wrestling, and they like. And those segments are good. And I really like the MJF segments. Uh, last week, I actually thought that. Um, where he was able to, you know, he's a face for most of it, but then he's absolutely turned, proved what a piece of shit he was at the end. I thought that was masterfully done. I'm not, it didn't have that much to do with CM Punk, really, but I'm enjoying both of them and their interaction. And I like CM Punk's being like a heel last week as well. These are just two good guys. I don't know how good the match is going to be, but I'm interested to see it. I actually wish they were wrestling a few times, but because CM Punk has this undefeated streak and MGF obviously is you know just won his ring again. This this is more a match that I would want, you know, a multi uh show feud for a multi match feud for that because I feel like it would the match would get better over time. I don't think the first match that we see between these two is going to knock our socks off. This It feels like more of the thing we would want to see him wrestle a couple of times. You, you know what, you know what, what, what template they should kind of take from it? Do, do you remember in the eighties when they were doing all the uh, Piper and Hogan showdowns? Like, like since they're both influenced by Piper, I, I I think like they should like do like something like I like that they're doing a multi man match next week where like you can do a limited interaction and then you do, you don't really have them going at it they kind of like you do those multi man matches with Piper and Hogan kind of thing like I remember like those like I remember renting those videos after the fact and I really loved all like Hogan and Piper showdown even if like they didn't end cleanly and everything like that but like I think they should follow that template if that makes sense. 
Oh yeah, that's a very good idea. And I wonder how long they can tease it out. Maybe, uh, maybe if they're doing the multi-man matches, maybe they have one match and it, and MGF cheats because I don't think anybody cares about CM Punk's undefeated streak except when he's going to lose it and probably get screwed out of it by MJF. Uh, so maybe they can do something like that. But I, I dig their actions. I just hope I want to see them have more than one wrestling match. Uh, I want them to have, you know, I, it reminds me, I want them to have a feud like CM Punk versus Raven did, where they have so many matches that ends up in like a gimmick match or a blood feud, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's it. That's the one thing about AEW that I kind of like have a full paw against. Like, they, like, okay, like, I guess they're trying, I guess when like, a rivalry is when you do like a one off match. And then you can pick up like later on, like in a year or so, and you still have added elements to it. But sometimes they don't like. Sometimes they don't let the feuds breathe. And sometimes when they do let the feuds breathe, you have like MJF and Jericho kind of thing. Because I felt like even though I enjoyed the lengthiness of the Pinnacle versus uh, the Inner Circle feud, I thought towards the end they were all they were running out of things to say to each other. And like enough, like, like and Jericho already had like three or four like, heartfelt speeches about going to war or whatever. So by the time you got to the match that was supposed to be, well, if Jericho loses, he, he has to retire, right? It, it, by the time you got to that, it, it wasn't that it was, like, bad or anything. It, you know, I think people were like, okay, let's move on from this. So I, I, I don't know how you would pace out a feud, but it seemed like they just move on from feuds. Uh, like, and, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I thought the Kingston and Punk thing, like, that could have had legs to it for a couple of months. The Miro and... Yeah. The Miro and Kingston thing about oh like the the whole atheism versus God thing like I thought that could have had legs on it for a couple of months too and still made it fresh so that's one thing about AEW that I wish they could like book a concise feud more more properly if that makes sense. Yes, they have so many wrestlers, so much talent, so many potential feuds, so many incredible threats. It's hard to juggle it all. It's hard to justify this feud over that feud. I do think they make some bad choices with the feuds they run long and the feuds they kind of cut short. I think they could do a much better job of, like, the the MJF versus Jericho feud. Yeah, it was a great idea, but did it have to be seven trials? Maybe it it could have been five, you know, and gotten the same point across. Or maybe he could have had to do two in one night. Or something like that, you know, kind of speed it up a little bit. Even though, like, it was a great concept, it's a, it's, it took a, a lot of time on the show where you have so many other things going on. Yeah, no, you know, you, you know, I, I agree. I agree with that a hundred. I agree with that hundred percent. That's why, like, like Jericho took it so, like Jericho, like in interviews, he took it so offensively because people were like criticizing, "Hey, why would you start off with like?" the blood and guts match shouldn't that like be and i I, listen, I, I guess they wanted i get sometimes i think like fine they, they chastise the fans for wanting like a logical way to get to matches but sometimes i think they go well this is a new school of thinking so we can just do it up we can just do these matches at random and i i just thought by having the blood and guts match first in the whole thing i thought that should have been the culmination but like jericho got like really really offended by that in interviews that people wanted this match to be something that's like last in the Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the AEW people overly defensive about fan criticism. You should ignore it. I actually 
this is why I hate that kayfabe is completely gone. I think no wrestler should ever respond to criticism from a fan. Almost never. I don't. I don't hold it against them. I don't think it's like a bad. I think it's a natural thing to do. But it's just like as a wrestler, you have an excuse to just tell people to just fuck off because you're a wrestler. So I would. I would just never leave character if I'm going to respond to. Uh, Comments, which someone like MJF does, he responds to comments, you know, in character. FTR does as well. I think that's a much better way. If you're a wrestler and you want to be online, don't get, don't respond to the critiques of the backstage stuff. Respond as if it was 100% real. Like I remember sometimes, I, I forget who, but some guy had a botch, right? And fans were posted, but he came up with a kayfabe reason for why what he did actually made sense. And, oh, it, it was Matt Hardy. And, no, it actually wasn't a botch. Uh, people thought it was a botch when he elbowed the mat. Uh, and he was actually, no, I was just making the sound. You don't know what you're talking yeah, 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 about. Yeah. And see, he wasn't breaking kayfabe. It made sense. It explained it away. I, and it was in character. I did that. I know Matt gets out of character. Uh, a, a bit, but I generally, but a lot of times he is in character, and I, I dig that. Did you? Did you? I, I want to get your thoughts because, well, even though Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy are not going to like admit it, obviously, but they released Jeff Hardy, and everybody because of Jeff Hardy's past, you can't like blame people for assuming that he may have fallen off. Not that you want to wish that he falls off, but like Matt Hardy and Rebby are like happy, and people are judging them because of like. Well, he might be, he might be doing, because like they know more, but then if something does happen to Jeff, then like, it'll be that Matt and Rebby seem like they're protecting him and not, and want him in AEW so bad that they don't care about health. So now people are assuming that Jeff Hardy pulled a fast one on WWE and got his release because he wants to go and do like tag team wrestling with his brother against the best tag teams and outside of the WWE, basically. Well, so I, I I hate to speculate about something like this, but it, it is in the air. It is in the conversation. And if anybody else wants to talk, call in. Please feel free to do so. But for what I I I was even reading stuff from people in the audience. Some people in the audience said, "Oh, he Jeff seemed fine until the end when he walked through the crowd." And somebody else was like, "Oh no, I could tell something was wrong." I don't know how you reconcile those two things, but. The fact, the, but the, but the fact that Matt and Rebby seem happy, I don't know. That 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 does not. If you're if you actually thought your brother was having a serious relapse, I don't think even a Matt or I don't think Matt Hardy would even like try to work. You know that. I mean that just thing. And a thing you said about if uh, God forbid Jeff Hardy is having a relapse, does have a relapse. That is what being an addict is. That's always a possibility. You can't really say, I mean, it could happen tomorrow. You know, I mean, that's what addiction uh, is and how it works. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's okay. I hope he just walked off the job. Uh, and if that's what Matt is saying, and they, they talked about, you know, he's going to have a drug, he has a drug test already. People, I, some people are saying, like, you know, he's seen fine before the show and even fine during the match. If he just walked off and quit, because it was it would not be the first time this happened. Gail Kim, in fact, walked uh, just walked out of the match uh, and quit WWE on Raw. So I don't know. I mean, you can't speculate. You can't oh, yeah. know. Obviously, I don't know. I just 
would I I would trust his you know family uh, on this one, and unless they have given us a reason not to, which I don't think they have. Uh, and so, you know, I, I trust them over whatever WWE is leaking about the situation. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, it, it seems like it seems like like because yeah, I didn't want to speculate. You know, when you're on Reddit, it, it always speculates, right? But because the reason why I think people are speculating because his wife was the first one to like basically kind of recant what WWE was saying. She she made it really subtle. So that's when I was like, okay, I guess this is fair to talk about because, like, you know what I mean? It seems like they're, like, talking, like, they're addressing the rumors and all that. And, and yeah, I'm with you on that, man. If you, like, I, I understand that, like, uh, uh, you know, addiction is, is, like, it'll come and go and all that. So you might have your moments. But, like, he, like, from the from the video that I saw, like, because he made a, Matt Hardy did a Twitch. And Jeff Hardy made a cameo in the Twitch. And then he did a joke where he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm listening to Release Me by Wilson Phillips. Okay, <laughs> so I mean, if and I'll speculate on this because it's positive speculation. If he was able to work himself into a WWE release, that is very funny, and I love that. I love that for him. Then I'm ha- very happy for Jeff Hardy if he was just able to. He did his match, and then he just walked off. Because I, I mean, if so, what? So if one fan is saying everything seems fine. And another fan is saying everything seems off. That maybe I don't know. Again, this is speculation. That suggests to me that maybe he was just half-assing it. If maybe the maybe it was the smarter fan who could see that something was wrong, but the average fan wouldn't notice. That to me would not suggest that he was having necessarily a relapse because people were comparing it to the TNA incident, which where he did, where he was on drugs and came out fucked up. Yeah, that. Yeah, that was a horrible situation, and that was obviously horrible, and there was reports back, and like, it shouldn't, he shouldn't have even been allowed to go out there. People knew what was up before he got, he, he didn't, he wasn't able to do anything at all in the ring, really, and was very confused and didn't know what was going on the whole time. It was obvious to everyone in the building. It doesn't seem like that was what happened here that doesn't mean it was one thing or the other but i'm willing to hope for the best um for him and the hardy family and i hope this was just a finesse move on their part yeah no no definitely and and the thing is another thing that people got to appreciate is also that like as much as like Rebby Hardy might rub people the wrong way when she kind of melts off on Twitter, that like she's like she like one thing that like I I, I can like guess from 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 her experience that she does she if if Jeff Hardy was like a quote unquote a danger she would be like one of the people that would be online talking about like Jeff Hardy having to stay away from the family because she doesn't want her kids to be around somebody who might be in a you know in that kind of state whatever and all that she's like been very vocal about like you know unfortunately I think her and uh, Ashley Mazzaro had an incident whatever because her and Matt Hardy used to date and she would say some unsavory things about her and all that kind of thing so I would would like to think that if so Jeff Hardy was clean that or it wasn't clean that Rebby Hardy would uh, would op- would absolutely like not even let her kids go near Jeff if like if if that was like the case you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of the Hardys are an interesting family to say the least. But from what I understand, they do care about 
one another quite a bit and their family quite a bit. So I don't know if they're working. Again, I hate to speculate, but I'm going to hope for the best uh, in that situation. But uh, I on, on kind of on that note, yep. I do want to uh, give a, I do want to mention a uh, rest in peace uh, to Jimmy Rave. Um, yeah, really, you know, yeah, great yeah. wrestling, great guy all around, someone who dealt with addiction and, uh, himself and you know suffered horribly too much uh for it because he was somebody who was you know really giving guy in professional wrestling there were so many stories of people talking about how jimmy rave did this for them jimmy rave did that for him he and he was a, he was a guy who was tremendously uh talented uh as a wrestler never got his real due or respect even though he you you know you don't have uh, the ROH that you have without Jimmy Rave. He was foundational to it. The, his feud with CM Punk, absolutely amazing stuff uh, to go back and watch. He did so, great things with Daniels and great things with Roderick Strong, great things with all of the top guys. So it was very um, sad to see um, uh, him suffer these past few years, but at, at least now he's at peace. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I actually just, I think he's, he said something um, on Twitter that just about how depressed he was. And I just sent him a message and told him, like, hey, we, we love you, man. We don't know you. We haven't met you, but we love you. I don't go a week without thinking about all the great things you have uh, you you did in the ring. And I, I just was happy I got to tell him that. So uh, rest in peace to, to Jimmy Rave. Uh, great wrestler. A great guy. Go back and watch some Jimmy Rave matches if you get a chance. Yeah, yeah, was it, you know, I, I, the only, because again, I, I didn't get to watch, like, much ROH, like, I, after the fact, I heard about Jimmy Rave, the only, like, time that I really got to see Jimmy Rave was when he was an Impact, and he was teaming with Lance Archer. As Lance oh, Boy yeah, Warrior. I remember that, and, Lan, and yeah, Lance and would I, do the uh, pop blocking. He was pretty good, too. Lance is a, people don't know Lance Hoyt, Lance slash Archer is a great dancer, in fact. He's a B-boy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't back back then. I didn't. I didn't appreciate Lance Archer because he also had a WWE run, right? So, like, I didn't really like that WWE run. I think he was ready at that time. But then when I saw him in New Japan with like Killer Elite Squad and he joined the Suzuki Gun um stable, I started actually really liking him a lot. But no, but yeah, but but about Jimmy Rave though, I, I I even though I didn't get to watch everything that he did, I can always like I always feel bad because I I didn't get to watch him like how all you guys got to watch him and i felt the same way about that dude larry sweeney like i when he, he died oh yeah ago, i remember everyone like talking about how great of a manager he is people were like even comparing him to bobby the brain heenan a little bit and whenever somebody does that comparison i'm like i gotta go check out some of his stuff and i did get to see some of his stuff like back in the day but yeah that, that, that sucks about jimmy rave man i heard that like like he got amputated even man and then i i hate when like when like uh, like like somebody's like suffering and all that kind of stuff, because I kind of relate to that because I have my own mental health issues, or whatever, and I try to like fight like so hard to like not get into like you know into like very self destructive territory. But like when you're a wrestler, man, like it's like it's really hard because a lot of these guys want to make it, and then if they, if they, if if like because again, it's not like you're not I'm not like people will say that you're not you're like you're not successful if you go to WWE. And I realize that there's more goals in wrestling than you know, like MVP's goal was never to be in WWE. He wanted to always wrestle in Japan, even if he wasn't the biggest guy over there. But he got to wrestle. 
So I, it's something I think some of these wrestlers think because fan perception is like the biggest thing you can uh, su- succeed in is going to WWE. That they that that that, that, that their career is a failure, and I don't I don't agree with that. I think if you paved the way in like a smaller promotion and all that kind of stuff, and like you're memorable to a lot of people and that thing, that to me is still successful, man. You know what I mean? Like that's still awesome. Like even if you didn't make it to WWE. Man, you mentioned Larry Sweeney, man. That just uh, warmed my heart. I just pulled, started pulling up some Larry Sweeney clips. And he really was as good as a Bobby Heenan. He could, he really was that good, great. And it can wrestle a little bit, too. You know, but absolutely amazing. I'm looking at um, his on YouTube, Larry Sweeney's segment at Shimmer. I remember because Shimmer is all women's promotion. And actually, some of the fans were mad that he would show up on the show, even just as a, like a manager, like people were like, we don't want to see men on the card at all. I guess people were okay with the pre-show matches, but they were like, we don't want to see any males except for the cameramen and the crowd. And they were mad at Larry Sweeney, but how can you cause I was blessed uh, to see Larry Sweeney there at shimmer and man, uh, he was a great guy. Gone too soon as well. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Uh, sad, and sad to see uh, Jimmy Rave as well. But these are the guys who helped build the foundation for a company like AEW. That's why you have, you know, a CM Punk now. That's why you have an MJF now. That's why you have Serena Deeb, uh, who I, I didn't get to mention her history, uh, who, uh, you know, who had retired. I actually was at Serena Deeb's retirement match. In Japan, in I think what 2015, and she reti- was retired, done with wrestling after you know her WWE run. Uh, you know, she was in WWE and they fired her, uh, and then she had an indie run, but she ended up retiring a couple of years after. And I just am so over the moon to see her on national television showing what she could always have done. She was always, she could have always been this good, but you see how great she is now, better than ever. And I love that AEW has given the opportunity to these wrestlers, uh, who, uh, to wrestlers like Larry, who, you know, a Larry Sweeney would have been in AEW. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no. You know, definitely from this so I, I gotta go I, I gotta go but, um you know look at look back again because I remember when I first uh, heard about him I checked it and you know I was like oh this guy is really good it was around the era where I was trying to take in every single thing that I could because I was so much in the WWE bubble so I wasn't as familiar with like I, I came to it, it dawned on me that not everyone's gonna be in WWE so go ahead and enjoy these guys like when I found out that John Moxley was coming to WWE I went through like all his promos on YouTube. Um, before and going, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, don't we gonna let this guy be this guy and all that kind of stuff? And they kind of let him, they pushed him and everything like that. But like, like obviously they didn't let him be what John Moxley was. And now I'm kind of glad that John Moxley like like is like like I mean obviously he's in rehab right now. Hopefully he gets out and he's better than ever. But like I gotta say, like even John Moxley feels like a completely different person. Like just like uh, Serena D feels like a different person than when she was on WWE. Like she feels like 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 th- this is actually one of the better women storylines in in AEW they've done in 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 a while. That's not for a title basically, and 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 that's, and that's the kind of thing that I like. That like 
few that are not for titles, they have a great value. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with your sentiment that not everyone is going to be a world champion, whatever, right? And people look at that as, like, a very bad thing because WWE's treated you for so long that if you're not in a title picture, world title picture, foremost, that, like, you're not fucking, you know, that, that, that you're not valuable as a competitor. And MGF hasn't won a title, and he feels just as much valuable as a Kenny Omega does. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Hansi, if we don't have any more callers, I'm going to go ahead and call the show for tonight. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Much appreciated. Thank you, Hansi. As always, we'll be back on Culture next week. Make sure to follow us to let know when we're going live. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Peace.